slash and cast. Welcome back, fiends, to Hand of Whisker, presented by the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Our show discusses horror movies and the phobias they emphasize. Throughout the month, we'll be taking a closer look at necrophobia and the extreme and irrational fear of death or dead bodies in horror. Before I introduce tonight's film and my co-host, just a few general reminders for you guys. You can stay connected with us over on X and handle with scare pod and be sure to join us for our twisted tuesday and thursday watch parties which are held every tuesday and thursday at 7 30 p.m pacific time over at kick.com forward slash really drunk and uh, as always as you can tell i'm joined by my co-host grindhouse obby and grind you know i know you left after the first movie uh but you know the feeds were like really feeling the embrace of death uh we had a late night yesterday uh because we, <laughs> we, we ended up watching uh, one, two, and then five uh, to to end the night. Really? So we, we were up pretty late. Uh, a very rare triple feature. Probably not something that I'll ever do again. Uh, but, you know, like this this franchise is has a lot of like the compact, typical, you know, like 85, 90 minute runtime. So, you know, it went, it went fairly quick. Uh, throughout all of it, but like just knowing that we followed up with the sequel, we're like, well, we might as well tie it all together because you know the fifth uh, installment of this series, which was the last one that they did, sure enough, does that perfectly and wraps it up in a bow because it is a prequel at that point in time. But of course, I'm talking about Final Destination, and uh, you know, really, when it comes to, uh, I I would say just franchises in the genre, I I feel like. Final Destination is probably more approachable for a lot of people because, like, yes, it involves a lot of death, but, like, you're not going, like, the Saw route of, like, like saying, like, oh, like, what is the most gruesome way we could actually kill someone? This is more, okay, how elaborate and over-the-top, how cartoonish can we actually take the limit uh, and... Also, like, the the ways to avoid death itself, uh, in this case, with this. Uh, so, this is always one that I have fond memories of, and it is one that uh, is kind of laced a, a little bit in true events, but it wasn't necessarily, like, directly uh, related to those moments, because some of them had already happened, and some of them happened much later, uh, as opposed to, like, the opening sequences in some of the films uh, with Final Destination. Well, so if we're honest here, this is one of those series that, if you think about it, has in current day society almost become like a meme, right? These movies could be could basically be retitled Dumb Ways to Die, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's a part of what makes them so fun because there are so many little moments in these movies. I mean, as you get closer to the end, it gets a little bit more of a stretch, we'll call it. There's definitely some things early in these movies where it's like, 
I mean, yeah, you could slip in the bathroom and fall. I I know a family that uh, is close to my neighborhood where the mother slipped and fell and died mm-hmm. uh, in the bathtub. Okay, so it does happen. So I think that makes it, uh, to your point, about there's death and there's blood and there's whatever else, but there's not a slasher or a demonic force conjured from a book or you know something in the forest i mean it's it's a completely unavoidable cuz you can't get away from it but it's also one of those things where you almost don't have to understand it it's just death it's it's what everybody knows as the guy in the black robe with his scythe who follows you around and at some point it's your time and these movies i mean if they do one thing really well um I think they make you think about your own mortality mm-hmm. and like all the stupid things you do. <laughs> so it's like, it makes you wonder like what's going to actually get me. Um, now I think talking last night, you know, in our chat and whatever else, I think almost universally people think that the second one is better. Yep. Um, and I think that's okay. But at the same time, you have to understand that if you didn't have the first one, you never would have had the second one. Mm-hmm. So the first one's, gotta hold sort of that linchpin position as the start of I mean maybe not a new subgenre exactly but kind of you know it kind of brought us these movies where it, you don't have to have a quote unquote killer it's just the natural progression of society and uh, you know what some people do dumb things and they die some people have a premonition and they just die later Yep, Uh, we're not quite giving out any, like, Darwin Awards in the case of Final Destination. Uh, But, you know, we do have some pretty elaborate deaths kind of, like, sprinkled throughout the entirety of this franchise. Uh, So for those that don't know, uh, synopsis-wise, basically, Death stalks Alex Brownin and a group of high school students who survived a doomed airliner. All right, so it's uh. This is something that, like, we were talking about a little bit last night. I think Bob was the one who had mentioned this. But, uh, you know, this was originally slated to be an episode of The X-Files, in which case the episode would have been titled Flight 180, uh, which is the same number that is used for the flight in the movie. Uh, And, you know, it had a very similar concept of, you know, teenagers cheated death. And the main character in the episode would have been Agent Scully's brother. Uh, So, you know, we had a writer, Chris Carter, uh, who would basically fit the idea into, uh, you know, the mold of what would be expected, you know, from an X-Files episode. But, you know, the film basically allowed him a little bit more freedom, gave him a more, you know, detailed approach when it came to, like, discussing, you know, death's role when it came to the actual plane crash that is featured. Uh, And... You know, as as was kind of alluded to, like every Final Destination opening has been based on events that happened prior or happened later down the road. So you know, we uh, the highway accident, uh, which is featured in the opening sequence of Final Destination Two, uh, basically uh, depicts. A uh, hundred and twenty-five car pileup that happened in Ringgold, Georgia. Uh, there was also the racetrack massacre uh, being based off of the uh, Le Mans motor racing disaster from the nineteen fifties. 
Uh, I want to say that one was in the fourth installment, which was the final destination, not the last final destination. You know, whatever, whatever, you know, the title may lead you to believe, you know, it's a fucking, you know, Friday 13th and, you know, <laughs> all over again. In, in, in well, every as soon regard. as we as soon as we get to the word final, that just means we're sort of close. Yeah, yeah. It has yeah, never meant the final. Well, oh boy, now that I'm rethinking that. All I'm saying I, is, though, like, number four is the only one that doesn't actually have the number in the title when it comes to, like, this particular franchise. Well, and that's a that's a slippery slope, right? Because you start putting numbers on things and mm. your box office goes down. It, 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 nobody knows what to expect. So, I mean, it, it from a marketing sense, probably a smart play because then you at least... At least they're not trying to call it, you know, and that's kind of always the scary. Like, oh, this is it's the final chapter. Yeah, but oh, the box office receipts were pretty good. So it's not really the final chapter. Mm -hmm. We're going to somehow dig up the bones of somebody and have them start across stage as a skeleton just going. So I I, I get it. I'm with this series, though. um, I think one of the things that is actually great about it is that they did a really respectable job with every movie of ramping ramping up that opening scene. Mm -hmm. I mean, and you'd think, okay, so how do you outdo a plane crash? Right. Um, and I will say to this day, the opening 10 minutes of two is some spectacular cinema in the horror world. It is spectacular. Um, and it's, it's one of those rare ones that's a part two of something that is super rewatchable. Like I can rewatch that one just over and over because it's so fun. Um, you know, but back to our point. Yeah. If we didn't have part one, we wouldn't have had part two. And as much as, as much as our lead character, Alex Browning, right. What was the actor's name? Devin something. I mean, most of his acting, he could have been replaced with a cardboard cutout and it would have been just about as as effective because he was just flat as hell. I, the, the whole movie, he was just flat as hell. Um, but they used him as the, the method to, you know, push the story forward. And it, remarkably, they, they did. So the, the film overall, I mean, it's entertaining. It's a somebody poking the balloon of, I'm going to try something different and... So for me as a horror guy, okay, I'm here. Let's go. Absolutely. Now, most of the characters uh, featured not only in the first film, but also in basically like really all the sequels at this point are named after either iconic, you know, horror directors or actors, uh, you know, like if we're talking about like directors, you know, we have Ted Brownin, Alfred Hitchcock, F.W. Uh, Murnau and Carl Theodore Dreyer. We also have you know, characters from other movies as well. But that's an aiming scheme that they, they really kept throughout the, the entirety of the franchise, which is great to see. And, you know, on the subject of the main actor, you know, it's pretty funny because, you know, this movie did have an alternate ending. Uh, and, you know, they, they really had set it up with how they left things to have the, you know, uh, Alex Brownin come back for Final Destination 2. That didn't end up happening. I, I don't remember if it was just like a scheduling issue, if it was like a contractual thing. Uh, or, or, or what the ordeal was, but they kind of had to, like, work that into, uh, Final Destination 2, uh, and they basically explained it where it, he, he was basically, uh, killed by, like, building debris, essentially, 
uh, after basically death was targeted him and the other final girl, uh, and they kept eluding death for a while until eventually it did catch up to Alex Brownin, uh, but but not her because she ended up basically self-committing herself into the loony asylum. Uh, but what's what's really interesting is just how how different uh, like Hollywood could have been had New Line Cinema had who they initially wanted to star in the picture because initially they were targeting Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst to star in Final Destination, but of course, both of them passed on it to pursue Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, uh, which again, they would go on to, you know, star in both two and three. Not that anyone really acknowledges three, but for, <laughs> for all intents and purposes, uh, you know, I, I think everyone can agree it was probably for the best that those two ended up doing Spider-Man over Final Destination, uh, just due to the fact that, you know, obviously, like, Spider-Man is a huge IP. We've seen the success. And, of course, like, that's still, like, an ongoing thing. Now, granted, there's been, you know, several Spider-Men up to this point in time. But, man, it's just, like, I, 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 I like, shudder to think of, like, what direction Spider-Man would have taken, like had they not passed on this particular film. <laughs> Boy, uh, yeah, if we could have swapped actors in those two movies, I mean, hmm, I, yeah, I suppose Ali Larder would not look quite as good in the soaking wet sweater and uh, uh, the cardboard cutout of uh, <laughs> Devin Sawa swinging through the city by his uh, webs probably would not have been as good. He probably would have spun a lot because he was a cardboard cutout. You know how, like, wow. yeah. The so wind just really takes him. I, all that momentum, man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so, yes, I think we're probably ultimately all better off for that whole thing. But I think, especially, I mean, there's been a lot of things that, so Allie Lauder's been in a lot of movies, right? And mm -hmm. I, and I, I don't. Now, I don't think she's ever going to win any Academy Awards for things, but I also think she's a little bit of an underrated actress. Um, you know, everything from, obviously, Resident Evil, uh, Varsity Blues, things like that. I mean, she's got a presence, right? Um, so I think, I honestly think when it comes to, you know, the actor or actress that stood out more in this movie, I would honestly say it was her mm -hmm. over uh, Devin Sawa, because I just... And it wasn't, this is one of those rare times where I didn't want to punch the bleed that I didn't like. I was just like, why are you here, dude? I mean, you're just like, because I mean, he is, he, he is literally flat as hell in every scene he's in. And it's like, he is just a face and hair and no acting ability whatsoever. <laughs> so that's, that's why he I, was uh, a perfect scapegoat for, you know, the investigators. <laughs> well, I, th yeah, I mean, I think you're right. But at the same time, he also... When you take a guy that can't act real well and then you put him in all these situations where he's like, mm -hmm. it ends up not being a thing that anyone's going to be like, well, sure, that could have happened because he was I mean, he wasn't even a douche. He was just like a I mean, he was like. From American Beauty, he was that plastic bag just blowing in the wind. <laughs> That's what <laughs> he was for the whole movie. And it's like, oh, my God. I So I, it's the one part of the movie that I to this day, just hate. I just hate that he mm. was cast as a lead, because good God, that was awful. I mean, he he looks terrible on the poster, He he's terrible in the movie, he's just, like, I wish I could digitally just remove him and then have the rest of the movie happen, because the rest of the movie was pretty fun. Yeah. Now, uh, if only we could have one of our listeners, like, 
uh, do a video edit of the Spider-Man 3 dance scene with him in it. So we can just do a side-by-side -side comparison to see how ridiculous that would have looked. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> but, uh, but, but yeah, like, so, I mean, obviously death plays like such a vital role in this particular franchise. And it's, this is like a rare case in, in the genre where it's like the first movie by far has the highest kill count because, you know, we're dealing with like a whole airliner that goes down. Uh, there's yeah. 292 total deaths in the final destination. Now, to put that in comparison, uh, for the entirety of the franchise, the, the movie that came in second place was Final Destination 5, which was the most recent one. Uh, that one had a death count of 94. You know, nor That's normally, still... normally, like, if, if we're talking, like, slash rules or, you know, really just any genre title out there, you know... And the, the rule of thumb is, you know, the sequel is always uh, bigger when it comes to the body count, and it's always bloodier. <laughs> and uh, body count-wise, definitely not the case in, in this one. Um, but it's it's just a it's a really interesting thing to kind of, like, look back at, and knowing, like, they, they kind of... I'm not going to say, like, they completely downside over, like, the course of the entirety of the franchise, since, you know, obviously the last one was uh, the second highest total. But, you know, it's just very uncommon to see the first one actually have the highest number there. Oh, I know. I certainly think you're right, but I think as we've already discussed, and it's like, we know that I think we know that part two is a better film, better acting, better everything. But to your point, yeah, it is rare that you can take a follow-up to a movie, especially when it's a horror movie and it's not because I mean, slasher movies, you can honestly go, I think it's kind of like no rules, no. You can go any direction that you want. You can have less total kills if you make them better. Or you can have more total kills that aren't so good, but you can have more pairs of boobs. Or there's 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 an equation in there that somehow always works for these follow-up movies. And for part two, it being substantially less than uh, the second or the first one, it's it's still weird that when I think about these movies... That's actually not something I've ever considered. So it's mm -hmm. interesting that you bring that up. That yeah, I mean, we had three hundred. If you do the math, I think it's three hundred, isn't it? Two ninety three plus seven, isn't that three hundred? Well, it's two ninety two total because they they basically told us like how many people had died on the the flight. Mm -hmm. And I, I know they've done like uh, like the kill counts with dead meats on this. Okay, yeah, so bad. math. Not one of our strong suits. We'll just work with that. But I mean, I guess my point is this. When you factor that in, that's a really interesting way to look at that. Because, I mean, what other horror movie has ever killed that many people? I don't know that there's... I mean... I don't... I'm thinking, the, the I don't think only, anything the, else. The is only it? exception would be, like, zombie movies. Like, well, because that kills every that kills everybody. So that's right. I mean, but that's but but you never get like a total, and this movie gives you a total. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got close to three hundred dead people when everything is all said and done, and that's uh, huh, that's quite something. I'm I'm honestly surprised that statistic is not more polarizing when it comes to to horror movies because it's like there are some places that love to do, um, like there's a guy. There's a guy, I can't think of his name, but there's a guy on YouTube that does that does slasher movies. And one of the things that he does is 
he doesn't do it so much from a kill count point of perspective. He does it from a jail time perspective. Mm. And it's really interesting to watch because it's like if you look at Michael Myers over the course of his films, by the end of it, he's doing like 2,000 years in prison, you know, just based on what. But I don't think that there's many people that actually go for it from the, the stand of kill count. And I just, it, it's interesting. You make me think. You always do this. You make me think. And it's, sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. This sounds good. <laughs> it's a good thing. I'm not mad, so that's a, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, so so outside of that, the only other, like, little nugget I had, at least in regards to, like, Easter eggs for, like, the genre. Uh, at one point in time in Final Destination, uh, Alex goes to kind of, like, hide out in the cabin uh, where he's basically, like, holding himself up to, like, fight death, essentially, and trying to, like, death-proof the house. Uh for, for lack of better terminology. Uh, and that later shows up in the 1999 creature feature, Lake Placid. Really? Yep. Like the same cabin? Same cabin. Nice. Okay. Well, shit, I'll take it. Why not? <laughs> huh. Well, I love those little nuggets. Those are, those are always kind of fun. Yep. You know? Also... People find a good place to make a movie, and they make a movie. Yeah, it's it, it's really important, too. Like, when it, ca- when it comes to, like, numbers in this movie... Obviously, 180 being the flight is uh, all over this movie. Uh, but, like, mm-hmm. the, the biggest part is, like, at the very, like, when we get to the ending of the movie and we see the sign collapse. The sign itself says 180 when it when we get, like, our final kill. Yes. The which final is also <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. But, yeah, 180 constantly appears uh, kind of, like, throughout this. But, you know, definitely not quite as often as uh, as the music that plays in this movie. Obviously, that was a very big uh, discussion point during our watch party uh, uh, last night. Because, you know, obviously, like, there, there's some correlations, uh, you know, to the way that the artist died, as well as, you know, just the fact that this one does revolve around a plane crash, uh, which uh, is definitely interesting. And I, I, I couldn't really remember, like, another instance where, like, we, we have that sort of, like, parallel uh, when it came to, like, just, like, a couple of songs from one artist being heavily featured when, like, whenever, like, you know, death is, about, like, about to strike. But, like, at least, like, that's, like, moving forward, like, throughout this movie, like, you know, we know that's our cue. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, and to... To tie in John Denver and his plane crash death to this, and you know the the several different versions of of uh, I think it was Rocky Mountain High that we heard in the movie. I mean, that's definitely. I mean, that's. I mean, that's just making sure that the you know the the carpet and the drapes match, right? I mean, that's just making sure everything is perfect. And with a movie like this, I think you have to go in and you have to, because I think this movie would have been without the because. Ultimately, I I think this is just me, but ultimately, I think a lot of these movies, and especially when you know this is sort of an off kilter, maybe second tier movie, until you put it all together and people start talking about it, mm-hmm. um, and then it, and then it brings it up first tier. It doesn't matter if you like the movie or not; it's a first tier horror movie. It really is. But I think having all of those things together. Um, and especially the soundtrack was part of it. It definitely was part of it because it, it's if it does nothing else, it generates conversations. And it definitely did that while we were all chatting last night. Um, so, again, whether you love this movie or you don't like this movie, um, it's one of those things where the people that made it tried everything they could do to tie everything together. And 
that's a movie that's going to stand the test of time and it's going to build on something. And that's what this movie ended up doing. Absolutely. Now, I, I think if there is like one complaint that people might have with this franchise, so obviously this is a very formulaic approach to this story, you know, because, you know, we, we have the formula uh, that's basically sets up a premonition of death, survival, and eventually, you know, death is catching up. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I think, like, for me personally, the appeal to the approach that they took with this is just the fact that death has a design in these movies. And it's really about, like, trying to figure out why things are happening when they're happening. Uh, so, like, over the course of the franchise, like, we do learn, like, a couple of exceptions to death's rules when it comes to, like, mm -hmm. when you're going to die after, like, having a near-death experience in this case. Or just, you know, avoiding death after, you know, someone has a premonition of it. Uh, one of the things that was introduced in Final Destination 2 was this idea that new life can stop death. Uh, which happens when, you know, a baby is delivered in the sequel, uh, when a survivor is basically resurrected, but that is something that they did not retool later in the franchise. Uh, now, another thing that also appeared uh, to kind of, like, alter the course when it came to Death's design is taking someone else's life and altering the order uh, in which Death's design uh, was another way like, they could cheat death, essentially. Uh, but what was interesting about that approach, uh, which is kind of like another one that they implemented in two, uh, since, like, the one guy basically, like, snaps and tries to uh, kill our lead's girlfriend. Uh, that specific strategy isn't necessarily foolproof. And, uh, you know, ultimately, death still ends up coming, you know, it's a pendulum. It comes back full circle, uh, back to where it was originally intended to be. Well, these people, they have a... They have a very unique position in things, and especially when you look at um, death and, you know, whether it is a design or not. Um, and, like, I tend I tend to think that. I tend to think that death is a, is a design, and when, you're, when your moment comes, your moment comes. Um, um, they have a little bit of a a prelude into that so they sort of understand and they as i think most people would do everything they can do to fight it now to your point about two when it's like you're willing to off somebody else just to possibly screw up the timeline and maybe try to reset things i mean to me that that ultimately and i think two does a really good job of this two does a really good job through all the people at showing both the best and the worst in humanity um I think it's what makes two so good because you have people that are, you know, Hey, I won the lottery. Hey, I'm a fucking cokehead. Hey, I'm just a mom who's trying to take care of her kid. There's all these different things. And it, it shows you a very, uh, a, a really a frontage view of the world where it, it keeps you on the tip of the spear the whole time. Whereas I think one, it, with one, you're always trying to play catch up as to what's going on, where, where two gave you this very forward tip of the spear. Here we go. Here's the moment. What are you going to do? And now, admittedly, with one, I do like 
some of the buildup to some of the death scenes. Now, they definitely get a little ridiculous towards the end. You know, I, I'm sorry, metal conduit that's been broken apart and sparking, that doesn't happen. Fuses <laughs> blow, okay? Or breakers trip, okay? But I'm also enough of a horror nerd that I know that if that happened, well, that would be pretty fucking boring. So I'm okay with it. Um, it, it to finish the thought, I do love how to exposes the humanity, both good and bad, about people. Um, but again, this movie, it, it because it was kind of, it wasn't a cornerstone of horror, but it was trying to be the cornerstone of a new genre of horror. Um, and for the most part, it, it did pretty well. But it also gave you this place where it was like, this is really one of the good movies where it's like, just turn your brain off and pretend that you know that that wouldn't happen and just roll with it. And by the way, there was a cool plane crash. There's hot chicks everywhere. <laughs> there is, as Jess put it, midriff for days. <laughs> I mean, so just enjoy it. And I, th this movie does that very, very well. And then uh, when all said and done, it's got John Denver songs. I mean, you can't go wrong. Mm-hmm. And then the only non-John Denver song is Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> exactly. I mean, so why not? Why not just take this one thing where it's like, it's so comforting and it's so soothing and then throw in Into the Void by Nine Inch Nails. I mean, so if, if there's not like a punch in the mouth, fuck you moment in the whole thing, I don't know what is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so again, like obviously, opening sequences when it comes to Final Destination is is one of like the, the most like notorious things about this franchise, and you know something that really stands out, you know, across the entirety of uh, of the series. And like as as you said, like the the opening for to definitely one of the most striking. Uh, you know, opening ten minutes that we that we've had really in like any genre title out there. I know, uh, you know, for the longest time, like that opening sequence did give me a lot of trauma. Like I did not want to drive, <laughs> and I, like I still hold my breath whenever I pass like, you know, a truck carrying logs for fuck's sake. Like, um, I didn't really get like, like anxiety when it came to like taking the airline like a flight anywhere, uh, which I thought was kind of like interesting. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are people who are absolutely terrified of flying after, you know, seeing Final Destination for the first time. Uh, like, I know my manager's never been on a plane, so I should definitely show him Final Destination to, uh, to help get over his fear. That'd be the way to do it. A very long time ago, <laughs> a very long time ago, I was going to a convention for work. And I was flying to Nashville. And I don't know whose bright idea this was, but they showed the movie Final Destination <laughs> on the flight. But it was more back in the day where they had a, a bigger screen and it was up more towards the front. And that's just what you had to watch. And then as we came into Nashville, it was storming like a son of a bitch. And we had the worst fucking landing that I've ever had on an airplane. So... <laughs> For all the people in the world that I don't understand why they're scarred by something, mm. and and I tend to sort of laugh it off and go, well, you're kind of a pussy. This is one of those movies where 
or one of those moments where I'm like, I tend to like lean inward a little bit and get it because that was not a fun thing to go through to, to watch that movie. And it's like, Hey, it's about a plane crash. I'm on a plane. And then we come into Nashville and our plane lands fucking sideways in a torrential rainstorm and like skids all over the goddamn place and eventually stops. Everything's fine. Nobody was hurt, but it was like, wow. Okay, great. <laughs> this is, this is, this is what had to happen. But I mean, like, who picked that? Like, I, I, I'm guessing it was somebody with like a really twisted sense of humor, which in a sense I kind of appreciate. But at the same time, it's like I had to be on that. So why? Why did you do that? Well, but it was either someone who had a really great sense of humor or someone that just had no idea. <laughs> well, I think that's it, too. But I mean, so for me, for like plane movies um, and like I, I've hated flying my entire life, I've definitely gotten better about it now. But I go back to like the airport movies. Okay. Uh, yeah, seventy-five. I think it was seventy-seven. I think seventy-nine was called Concord. It was subtitled Concord. Um, I, 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 airplane movies are fucking scary. I mean, and we've got a we've got a movie coming out pretty soon, and I'm forgetting the title of it, but it is a plane crash with sharks. So I mean, that I mean. Tell me that for a second we're not going to cover that because fuck yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> let's take <laughs> the the worst of all things and talk and like combine it. I mean, that's just you know, it, it goes back to like uh, like Sky Sharks, like yeah. and how awesome Sky Sharks was. <laughs> um, you can take things and put them together that don't make any sense, and you can come up with a with a with a pretty damn decent movie. Um, and with this one, just the the thought like for me this is just me personally of like i've sent so both of my kids are grown as you know but my youngest definitely went on a lot of school trips she was always the joiner type and they did go on a trip where they went to uh washington dc and then went around a lot of um kind of that area but this move this movie made me a little bit afraid of her traveling for that thing because it was the big school trip and not because the plane would crash but because she had to be in an airplane with a bunch of asshole teenagers i can't even imagine that. it sounds like the seventh fucking circle of hell <laughs> honestly it does um I, ultimately this movie has stuck in the zeitgeist and i mean ultimately being someone who is an air traveler it is one of the rare times in life where you are going a far distance at a great speed and you have absolutely zero control over the outcome. And that is what scares the shit out of me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, we basically went from, uh, you know, someone having, you know, a premonition of plane crash, uh, you know, people just seeing shit that isn't there uh, on on airlines after all these years. So uh, I guess if it's not, you know, finding a gremlin chewing away at the wings of the airplane in oh, itself, it's something Twilight completely Zone. different. <laughs> Twilight Zone, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Uh, it's, it, it's always something, but, you know, we, we've also had, like, very outlandish movies, too. Like, obviously, like, Snakes on a Plane would definitely be up there. I, I, I can't remember for the life of me the name of the shark movie you're talking about, but I have definitely, I've heard about it because I've seen it, like, covered on, like, Bloody Disgusting, so it's definitely on the radar. Just a matter of like figuring out a way to weave it in, or at least like 
you know, watch it on one of the Twisted Watch parties, because I'm sure everyone would get a, a good kick out of that, because we all do love our creature features. Um, but when it, when it comes to, like, setting up the premonition, though, you know, it... <laughs> The way that they kind of set it up, it's like, okay, well, there's going to be, okay, obviously, like, this is an international flight. We're going to be on an airplane for, like, God knows how fucking long. And I, I just love the, uh, you know, idea of, like, <laughs> the, the bros being like, yeah, well, what happens is we have to take a mess of shit. Like, and then, like, one of the hotties comes in right after you. And then that's going to be the thing that, like, she remembers you for, for the rest of your life. And it's like, well, you make a good point. And I just remember, like, I think Jess was the one who's like, I, I thought girls were the only ones who go to the bathroom together. That I mean, that that oh, yeah, that, yeah. that is true. <laughs> um, but I, I just laugh every time I see this movie, like how how ridiculous, like that setup is. But you know, again, like obviously we have this premonition moment. He he sees the airplane take off with him on board. You know, you have the sequence of events that happen, and then. You know, after the explosion, he wakes up in his seat and things start to play out exactly the way, you know, they do in the premonition. And that's when we have, you know, that freak out moment of like, you know, we need to get off of the plane right now. And of course, you know, we kind of like have our uh, we have a fight breakout between Alex and uh, someone who's like, I don't know if he's like necessarily a bully, more like his rival when it when it comes to this high school in Carter. Uh, and we have just several passengers being removed from you know the airplane, uh, including both Alex and Carter. And then we also have like the best friend character, uh, Todd. We have Carter's girlfriend. We have one of the teachers uh, as well, and a couple of other students, which does include you know Stifler. Uh, who is also in, like, <laughs> Hockey Getup, which is also hilarious to me because, like, years down the road, he would end up playing, like, the goon uh, yes. <laughs> in, a, in a hockey movie, which is just fantastic. So, like, I know this movie just has a way of, like, predicting the future, you know, whether it's in a, immediate, like, a couple of minutes from now or, like, 20 years down the road. Well, yeah, I can't say it did a great job of predicting all of the actors' career trajectories, <laughs> maybe with the exception of Stifler. I mean, because, you know, because Stifler was Stifler and he was definitely the goon. He was the, uh, he was the, what the hell was in the, oh, fuck, where he was the, the mascot for the energy drink. Um, so, I mean, it, it's, um, it, maybe it's, a little more premonition than we thought, which honestly kind of makes it fun. But I remember watching that last night and I just caught a glimpse of it. And I was like, and I hadn't watched this movie in quite a while. So it was like a good reason to revisit, but I was like, was that fucking Stifler? <laughs> but I mean, so I hate to, what is his name? Sean William Scott. I, I hate to like quote unquote typecast him. Cause I mean, as an actor, I don't think I would want that, but dude, you're fucking Stifler. I'm telling you when you're 80 years old, some nurse coming in to wash your dying balls is going to be like, it's Stifler. I mean, it's just going to happen. You know, he's he doesn't really have a choice. The uh, the only, like, other movie that, like, I actually vividly remember him from was Evolution, which was hmm. uh, a sci-fi comedy. Hmm. No, he was he was the, the mascot slash one of the... Uh, call it jail detainee slash having to do community service guys and role models. Mm -hmm. He was in road trip. I mean, he he's been, and I mean, he hasn't been in anything that I know of that's been super serious. 
Um, but he was in all the American Pie movies. I mean, he's been in a lot of things. He's, I mean, he's part of the he's part of the cinema zeitgeist now. Now, has he been typecast? Yeah, obviously, especially with the goon. I mean, come on, Jesus Christ! But at the same time, I I don't think he's a terrible actor. I think he just took a while to kind of find his place, and he's he's a pretty funny guy. I mean, he's he really is, you know. Uh, so he's enjoyable to watch. But it was just funny last night how it was like I was just sitting there. I was like. Wait, what? And I was like, I type up, was that Stifler? And like seven people in a row just went, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> nice. So, I mean, if you have Stifler in your movie, you really can't go wrong. <laughs> okay. So, uh, after, you know, the premonition happens and, you know, they get escorted off the plane, of course, sure enough, they're just trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. And, uh, you know, as I think Stifler was the one who was like actually like looking out the window, you know, we do have the moment where we do see, you know, the airplane explode in the sky, and of course, you know, the windows get blown out in regards to the airport, and then we fast forward to, uh, 39 days later. Why 39? I don't know, maybe that was just how long it actually took them to piece together that memorial statue for, uh, everyone who had died, uh, on the plane, at least in regards to the high school students, uh, in this case, which was only a handful. It wasn't, like, a huge class that were actually, like, going to Paris at this point. Um, I'm trying to see, like, if I actually had the death count for for that. Looks like we had six students who ended up getting uh, killed in the airplane explosion, as well as 281 other passengers uh, who were on flight 180. So there's their kill count on that front. Uh, but yeah, so we have 39 days later, and then we have our memorial service for all of the deceased uh, high school students from flight 180. And, you know, it's not long when we have, like, this sort of chain reaction of events that occur uh, when, you know, we have... Death coming for one of the survivors who was not supposed to actually, you know, survive that night, uh, just due to the fact that everyone was actually supposed to die on flight 180. Um, and it's very interesting how, you know, they kind of set this up because th throughout this franchise, the thing that they do is the person who has that initial premonition is able to see little glimpses of into the future like they they get little snippets like a little bit of a clue to kind of like guide them towards like potentially being able to prevent whoever is next in line from actually dying now in the case of todd who was the first victim in this uh we have our our alex basically just looking at penthouse right and uh you know breeze <laughs> comes in he loot you know, just completely takes a magazine out of his hand. It flies into, uh, you know, a like a fan in the room. Completely shreds the magazine. And then a little snippet from one of the articles that says Todd on it. Just happens to land in his lap or, or some shit. I can't remember if it, if it lands on him, but he, 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 he grabs a hold of it and he sees that. And then that is his clue. Like, oh shit, like, Todd is first. So he rushes over there as you would come to expect. And uh, turns out Todd 
is believed to have strangled himself in the bathroom, uh, in the bathtub after basically we have who, <laughs> who are our fiends dubbed Osmosis Jones, uh, because of how frequently <laughs> this happens with just water in general, but in this case it's, uh, you know, mouthwash. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of liquid involved throughout, like, the entirety of this franchise, and it just cracks me up, because, like, that was just a running gag, uh, basically throughout the night, but basically, you know, what that ends up happening to Todd is, you know, he's just going through his normal routine, that we have, like, the mouthwash on the floor, and, uh, you know, he kind of, like, stumbles, trips, and strangles himself, and, you know, he's just like, just, just stand up, but he can't, because it's so slick that, uh, he just goes to like you know try to loosen the grip of the rope doesn't actually happen because the damn thing is basically piano wire and he ends up strangling himself to death in a freak accident which is the important thing to note because really all of these deaths in these movies are freak accidents but of course you know try to explain that to the cops what are they going to think? Well, why is this kid at this guy's ha like waiting outside this guy's house, right? Like, uh, you know, he had a premonition. He got he he got these people off the plane. And then the next scene, I know he shows up where another body is. You know, this is literal angel of death right before our eyes. We're gonna bring him in. We're gonna book him. Problem is, we don't really have any proof, <laughs> and that's just like an ongoing thing. You know, it's it's just a very simple formula, but it does work. Um, but it's just, I just find it so funny, though, that, you know, Alex is just constantly showing up, and then the next thing you know, oh, there's another body, he just doesn't get there in time. You know, it takes him, it takes him a couple of tries in order to, like, start to get the hang of it, right? Like, he's just not hitting the ground running, like, it's more of a slow crawl initially, and then, all right, our feet are planted, and now we could actually, like, have a foundation to build off of, and now we can move forward, but, nope, couldn't quite figure it out in Todd's case, though. Well, they definitely do seem to set him up as the sort of the gumball machine of death. You put a quarter in. What am I going to get? It's always a plastic bubble full of death. Like, it doesn't really matter. You know, you, you're never going to you aren't ever going to get that sweet promise ring you can give to a girl. Right. So I had to do some I had to do some looking last night because I was very curious about the wire from the shower. OK. Um, And I was trying to like where like where had I seen something similar to that? And I finally figured out I it was in the movie The Rock. That's where I saw it. Uh, it's what Sean Connery used. His was a rope and not a wire, but it was the same premise. And so what I found out is that, like, up until probably the very early 80s, in a lot of houses, hotel rooms, whatever else, they had this little thing that you would pull out and you would attach to the other side of the wall. And it was a place to dry your clothes, either in your own personal bathroom or a hotel room if you had things to hang up. Because people would also use the shower as like a steamer to get wrinkles out. So they would hang these things in the shower, run the shower hot and steam their clothes. And for the ones that were in hotel rooms, they were stainless steel wires so they wouldn't rust. And like I, I, I did such a deep, it was a ridiculous <laughs> deep dive rabbit hole on this. And I like I wasted so much of my life on this. It's just stupid. Um but I had to know, and that's where it came from. So that was a that was most definitely a thing. Now it was less likely in homes, but 
I hate to say this, it made it that much more believable <laughs> for me. Like, you I know, was like, well, of course. I, I absolutely love that you dug into that because I like I, I didn't know that. Like, I obviously like I knew like the clothesline aspect of it, but uh, you know, not 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 the hotel part of it. But uh, you know, knowledge is power. The more you know. <laughs> oh, amen to that, brother. Amen to that. So, but it it made it like I still don't see how you'd accidentally wrap it around your neck and strangle yourself. And we were talking last night during that scene, and I was like, dude. Stand up. Just like I know bathtubs are slippery, but Jesus Christ, just stand up. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a horror movie and that just was not to be. Well, can't exceed osmosis drones, man. I'm telling you. Um, oh, you can't. But... <laughs> when he's there, when he's there, it's all over. Yep. So, uh, yeah, you know, Todd gets strangled to death in the, in the bathtub. Uh, and of course, you know, the cops uh, basically rule his death as a suicide, which, of course... Alex does not believe in the slightest. Uh, and we do kind of have like a confrontation between Alex and Todd's parents, <laughs> you know, after this happens, when he arrives to the scene and uh, basically gets into it with Todd's father at that point in time. Uh, and, you know, like Alex and Claire, I, I don't know why they fucking spell it as clear, like with her character. It's just so weird to me. Uh, they're, like, wanting to, like, just, you know, try to, like, get clues to see, like, well, what actually happened and to see, like, just they want to know for sure, like, was it actually suicide? Because, like, obviously, like, they, they have their intuition and they don't believe that was the case. And sure enough, uh, they end up sneaking into the funeral home in order to examine Todd's body. And then this is where we meet William Bloodworth, who is played... By, of course, Tony, Tony Todd, who does make several appearances in this franchise, uh, both in one, two, uh, and five. I think he, I don't think he officially appears in three, but I remember like his voice is featured in three. From from what I remember. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the case, but like he wasn't like actually in the movie in itself. Um, but, you know, it's. It's very heavily implied, like he, like he is like death itself, like in this movie, uh, <laughs> which is absolutely fantastic. Uh, but you know, he basically tells the kids, like, you know, that they cheated death's plan, and you know, death is now taking matters, or in this case, their lives, you know, into its own hands, uh, because you know they were always meant to die on the plane uh, during the plane crash of Flight One Eighty. Uh, so. You know, Claire's kind of like the skeptical one between uh, the two. Alex really believes that, you know, like they're they're going to be able to like get through this by cheating death again. You know, if we've done it one time, we could do it again. Like it's not that big of a deal. Uh, but he does like kind of tell her, like, you know, I have been seeing like these glimpses or like these omens, and uh, you know, he basically like shows her, you know, the little snippet from the Penthouse magazine of Todd's name. Uh, so. You know, it's kind of like the inkling of like, okay, like now we actually have something to, you know, work with. Like we got to look for the clues and then, you know, that could help us basically continue to escape the, uh, you know, the clutch of death at this point in time. Uh, so, you know, this is like their plan of just like stopping all the future encounters. Uh, but of course, you know, we, we still have Carter, who is, you know, the rival in all of this. And, you know, there's like a, a constant like provoking between him and Alex in this. 
Well, okay. So as much as I want to admit that I think the internet can get things wrong, everything that I see here see here says that her name actually is clear. It's not Claire. So I don't I wonder if there's a there's gotta be a thing. There has to be a thing there that there's a reason for it, that. Maybe Everything that, that, that maybe that's just a like a late nineties, two thousand scene. <laughs> oh, it could be, yeah, where we could spell yeah. It goes it goes along with the shithed. <laughs> Is your name shithead? No, it's Shithid. Yeah, that, that could totally make sense, but that's everything I see. Well, I mean So okay, so my friend died and I'm curious. I like I don't I don't think I'd break into a funeral home. Mm-hmm. Maybe I would. Maybe I'm maybe I'm that screwed up. Um but A to have Tony Todd in this movie. A to have him basically be Bill Bloodworth. I mean, come on. That's just awesome. Um but his explanation about death's plan and how they've interrupted it is just at this point, if you're not into this movie, this either got its hooks in you or you turned it off, depending on what kind of person you were. For me, I was just like, okay, hook, line, sinker. I'm a trout. Let's go. Just keep reeling me in. You got me. Um, And, but then as they're like talking with all of their, like everyone's kind of talking and then like, there's the speeding bus. And the speeding bus was, I mean, like, you live in a metropolis. I live in a metropolis. Mm-hmm. The speeding bus thing is like, it's something that kind of gets you right in the real world. Like, I, I mean, I I have to drive on the highway with the buses all the time. And it's like, I see how poorly they're driven and whatever. I mean, and it happens. And it's, so it's another one of those things where, Although I don't think being accidentally hung by your piano wire clothesline in your shower is maybe the most believable thing. Getting hit by a bus, I can totally buy. <laughs> like, totally. So it's like, well, okay, thank you for making this even more real and more uncomfortable. I appreciate that. <laughs> and it doesn't necessarily just have to be a bus, too. Like, it definitely happens uh, just with just about any car out there. But obviously, like, it's a little bit more of an impact if it's actually a bus in this case. Oh, totally. Yeah. So, I mean, but I mean, if you look at, if you look at our society now, and this is kind of one of the things that, and I've talked about this more times than I care to count, so I won't go through the whole thing, but I tend to believe that society sucks on the whole. Okay. Mm-hmm. And most people are a little too busy with their own personal bullshit to understand how much they suck. Um, so that being said, if you're somebody who works for a municipality driving a bus, I mean, I've got to, I've got to think that you are really, really out of touch with how much you suck. So being run over by a bus, I mean, I, I think you're just a speed bump at that point. Um, and that kind of felt that's how Terry went out, like being a speed bump. <laughs> yep, that uh, that next day we have kind of like a news bulletin, uh, basically on flight 180, uh, where they're talking about like the cause of explosion and how, you know how there was a malfunction. Mm. Uh, you know, which is good for Alex's case because it uh, does hopefully like get the FBI off of his back since you know they basically thought like he like he was the reason behind the explosion. You know, maybe this kid went on and planted a bomb on flight 180 to kill all of his classmates. Uh, but he wanted to save his friends and only his friends, which doesn't even add up either because, you know, obviously, like, the guy that's constantly fighting with him was someone that was saved. Besides the point. But anyways. That was, okay. But see, that was fun with me because, so I know you don't have, I know, I know you don't have kids, but I do. So mm-hmm. th- during that news report where they showed the, 
the lines of where it went from here to here mm-hmm. to here. There was a moment where I was like, I had a Dora moment where I was like, it's the map, it's the map, it's the map. <laughs> I'm like, so he's like mapping out the death. I mean, in, in my head, I was just, I was just chuckling to myself, like, because we have that, which was a very Dora moment. And then now we've mm-hmm. come to a place in our society where we have adult Dora. Have you seen any of the adult Dora in her, uh... in her things with, with tequila? Oh my no, god! It's, no, no. <laughs> so I was, I was just, I was sitting here, I was in my chair, just laughing hysterically to myself. So, but again, another another reason why this movie is just so fun because it it pulls in a lot of things and it makes you. The map thing, I think, was a very Stone Age movie making tool. Mm-hmm. I think it was very Stone Age, but I also think it was super effective, um, because then from there. Alex starts drawing the maps and he starts talking about the order in which everybody dies. And he, and he, this keeps coming up more and more in the movie where he has this, Oh my God moment. And someone's position shifts. And then lo and behold, they die, which is honestly kind of lazy, but at the same time, it's also a good way to like, like mix everything up and then keep the pace kind of fast. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it was primarily just, yeah, because, like, he didn't really backtrack, you know, he didn't follow on the, the order of events with how they actually played out in real life. And sure enough, you know, just an oversight, but, you know, that oversight is very costly when it comes to this. Uh, but, you know, with the map, basically the doc said, okay, Miss Luton, you know, the teacher, uh, is next on, you know, that's design at this point. Like, she's the next one on the chopping block. And, uh, you know, Alex goes over to her house, hopefully looking to save her at this point in time. Uh, But, of course, Miss Luton is very paranoid. Like, she wants to get the hell out of Dodge. She wants nothing to do with this place. She wants to move on with her life. And, you know, she uh, basically just thinks Alex is, like, up to no good and basically, like, informs the FBI agents <laughs> that, like, you know, it's kind of like, be aware, and of course, they, like, bring him in, in for further questioning. Uh, but, you know, it's just one of those things, like, Alex is in a position where it's like, nothing I say right now is going to convince these agents uh, of anything. Like, they're not going to believe me, uh, but they don't necessarily have any proof that, you know, I'm the one behind all of these dead bodies, so, you know, because of that, like, it's not like they could just detain him for, like, a long period of time, so, you know, they unfortunately have to let him go, uh, and, you know, because of that, you know, it just so happens he's too late uh, to to save, you know, Miss Luton, whose uh, house explodes, uh, and, of course, you know... She ends up getting impaled by kitchen knives. There's a lot of fire involved uh, in in her particular scene. But, of course, like, we also have the very Hollywood explosion when it comes to, uh, you know, the house fire and the the slow motion. Uh, And, you know, we also have, you know, Stifler, who's, like, nearby. And he, like, he sees, like, the whole thing. And he sees Alex, like, basically running out of the house. And then the house explodes. So, of course, like, his thought is just, like, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) so it's just, like, one of those things, like, I I love the fact that, like, okay, like, the FBI doesn't have anything on him. They let him go. And then the very next scene that he's in, you put him back in the position where it's, like, okay, like, well, there might actually be something to this after all when it comes to Alex being the cause of all of this. 
Well, that's the whole thing, though. I mean, and he ultimately, because he, I think because he started the initial panic on the airplane, I mean, mm-hmm. you, you're kind of always going to be, you know, you know, when you're the uh, tennis shoe bomber, people are always going to suspect you if the plane blows up. That's just kind of how it works. But something about when you had the teacher, and especially going back to like the opening scenes where the two teachers sort of argue about who should stay and and she's like, oh, no, this is like your chance of a lifetime. You know, so Miss Luton stays. And I mean, first of all, if I had a teacher that hot, I would have got way worse grades. I mean, <laughs> God damn. Uh, but at the same time, it's like her just crawling through her house and avoiding every single potentially life threatening thing in her house that just like follows her through. And then I forget what it was that fell, but she got like, she got that knife in the chest and it was only a little bit in and then something, something moved and it came down and went just whap and just tapped it. There was something that was so stupid, but also so like, oh, I love horror movies Mm -hmm. like about that. That was just, it was so dumb, but it was like, well, sure. Why not? And then the house exploding. I mean, it was another one of those. Well, okay. It happened, but it was almost like death is going out of its way to cover up the evidence, you know, and, and make things ambiguous, which was all, which I mean, with these movies is kind of one of the core things. It's like, well, okay. So go to the big giant car accident and find out where it started and why. And so it's like, well, okay. So, but I, I like how it sort of keeps you on the outside of the knowledge circle. Like I just, I don't exactly know what happened. Um, the falling kitchen knife was just great to me. But when they get over to Carter and Carter's just all pissed off about Terry and he has that sweet Nova. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I like I mentioned it last night, that fucking sweet ass Nova. But then he's like, I'm just going to stop it on the train tracks because I'm going to go out my own terms. And it's like, what? Like, what? Why? I mean, and if you have to do that, move the car and then just stand on the tracks because that car is worth way more than you mm-hmm. are, dude. I just, I, I'm a car guy. That one kind of pissed me off. Yeah, and that one's like definitely one that's like more uh, based off of like urban legends, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. car just stopping on mm-hmm. on, on a train tracks. Um, you know, it's like an age old tale. But yeah, like like the whole idea of like, all right, well, I'm just gonna sit it here, and then it's like they're like trying to convince him, like, hey, like the train's coming, like come on, like get get the fuck out of there, like move move the car, and he just he just can't, like he can't even unbuckle his seatbelt. Uh, but, you know, we do have Alex looking to save Carter, despite the fact that these two are always at each other's throats. Uh, and, of course, you know, just as the car is smashed by the autocomplete train, he does manage to pull Carter uh, from out of the car. And then after this, <laughs> you know, Billy ends up getting decapitated by flying shrapnel. Oh, of course. Stifler gets it in the end. Yeah, that the little piece of shrapnel that's underneath the train that just gets kicked up and just... And I honestly, I was sitting here and I went, oh, Stifler. I, I I said that. I was like, ah, crap. But I mean, you can't have a scene like that with, with a buildup like that without not having somebody get smoked. That's just mm-hmm. how it works. I mean, and, you know, being a, I mean, let's call Stifler what he is in this movie. He's a tertiary character. He really is. Um, at the same time, I still, I still like the fact that they had, a scene 
where because I, I equated it more to like being on the highway and you're driving and all of a sudden a rock hits your window. Well, why mm-hmm. was it? Was it because somebody threw it? No, it was because some traveling car or traveling truck kicked it up and it hit your windshield. Um, I know that that uh, probably two, maybe two and a half years ago, my wife had something get kicked off of a car and hit her windshield and it actually shattered the entire windshield and like put a dent in the in the roof of her car where it hit. So that's not that happens. But here here we are again. It's something that could actually happen to you. You know? So it's it, it takes these real life things and maybe it puts them in the context of fiction and makes them a little bit like, well, maybe that couldn't happen. But at the same time it's like that actually could happen. You know, things I've I've had uh, when I had my Camaro, I had a car kick up a piece of sheet metal that hit the front of my car, then went under my car, and then slashed my tire and spun me out. Um, so, is it likely? Of course, it's not likely, but could it happen? And that's what that's what this movie is. Th- this whole movie is a, in parentheses in big neon letters. Could it happen? <laughs> and that's what I that's what I love about it because. Mm-hmm. As a thinking person, I know that these things could happen. And it's kind of fun to make you sit and just go, huh, well, shit, that could happen. And that's what's so fun about it. Absolutely. So uh, because of death targeting, you know, Stippler at this point, you know, Alex is uh, basically believing like, all right, you know, I, I, I intervened. I saved Carter. So then it skipped Carter, moved on to the next person. Uh, so basically skipped him, moved on to Billy, uh, which basically means that uh, he is next on the list. Uh, so this is when we get to our Lake Placid, uh, like, fortified cabin. Uh, and, you know, he he recalls the fact that, you know, he had, you know, changed seats when he was on the airplane uh, with two of the girls, uh, you know, during his premonition. And that's when he has a realization, like, oh, fuck, like, I'm actually not next because of that. Uh, Claire is actually next. Uh, So he rushes to save her uh, while also being chased by the FBI agents (laughs) because they're they're always they're always on the tail for for whatever reason. Um, Well, and they have the best names, Ween and Shrek. I mean, (laughs) come on. (laughs) I mean, if there's ever somebody poking fun at (laughs) come on. And the one guy didn't look like Shrek, and the one guy kind of looked like a ween. Or, I mean, but it, it, I mean, kind of, I just I love the fact that with this movie, especially with all their characters, it's like they they stopped just short of being ridiculous, but they also managed to have some fun with it. I mean, and you know, I got like FBI. If you're an FBI agent, you open up a badge and like, so you're Agent Shrek, really? Like fucking really? I, like I would not buy that at all. Um, but this does get us to our place where we have all the call it the, call it the loose cables that are like flapping everywhere. And this is the part where I'm like, and maybe I'm a little too grounded in reality, but I'm like, <laughs> okay, a breaker would have blown somewhere. This just would not happen. Mm-hmm. But our boy determined to break the cycle <laughs> in. I mean, let's call a spade a spade here. Save the hot girl. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, grabs a cable to be like, I'm just going to take one for the team here. This is this is kind of the first time where he's just like, 
for all the, all the things that he's done, he has not been sacrificial. Right. He has showed up late, accomplished nothing, and uh, basically been a passenger for most of what has happened, other than getting people off the airplane, um, which ultimately kind of doomed them all to die later horribly. So good on you there, <laughs> bud. Um, and but this is like his like I'm gonna like earn my. I'm going to earn my way through the pearly gates moment. Turns out not exactly accurate, but uh, something tells me you'll tell me about that. Uh, But yeah, so Claire does end up getting like stuck inside the car. And of course, uh, you know, Osmosis Jones in this case is uh, another liquid. But, uh, you know, it's a leaking gas tank, uh, you know, in this case, which, of course, as you mentioned, surrounded by loose electrical cables. Uh, but yeah, we do have that moment where, you know, he, he does play the savior, allowing her to escape from the car just before it does manage to explode. Uh, and, you know, we we time, we have a time jump in this movie uh, for, like, the, the very end of it, leading into, like, the final sort of, like, gag, I guess would be one way to put it. Uh, so six months later, we have Alex, Claire, and Carter traveling to Paris. Uh, basically to celebrate the fact that they have cheated death and escaped death, death's grasp like oh, once and for all or so they believe <laughs> uh, so you know obviously like they're having their conversation at like this little cafe uh, and then Alex has this realization that death never actually skipped him you know we still have the clues we still have like the wind picking up uh, and I was like one of the uh, that was Honestly, like, one of the other, like, gag jokes that uh, I kept bringing up is just the fact that it's like, yeah, like, we, there was definitely more environmental damage caused by death in, in this movie compared to, like, literally all of the happening, <laughs> which is, which is just great. Um, uh, but yeah, so Alex is, like, still seeing, like, these, these omens, you know, he, he ends up leaving the table that they're sitting at. Uh, he almost gets ran over by a bus. Uh, but that bus ends up swerving and crashes into this uh, large neon signage uh, that just so happens to fall down and swing towards Alex. Uh, and Carter is there to push him out of the way at the very last second. And uh, Alex officially, you know, he skipped. You know, he Carter ends up saving him. And in the process of that, you know, sign sweets back towards him. You know, the 180 sign at that, which I mentioned earlier. Uh, and we have our cut to black moment, followed by a very loud smashing sound of the sign absolutely annihilating Carter and crushing him, uh, which is just fantastic. But it, but it's like one of those things because like uh, you know they they made it seem like all right all is well and good uh, you know we have our two survivors uh, but you know obviously Claire is still uh, you know like we we know the fact that death still ends up coming for them based off of the events that happen in Final Destination two because mm-hmm. you know we do learn later on that Alex basically. Uh, got killed later. Claire puts herself into the mental asylum. Uh, obviously, like, she has her whole, like, mapping situation, as you would come to expect. You know, obviously, everyone's kind of, like, see, seen the uh, 
the meme at this point when it comes to like all of the attaching the strings. You know, gotta go from A to B. Gotta gotta go through like the whole timeline in in that regard. But I just, I, I love the fact that it really just ties everything together. Like, obviously, 180 was featured throughout the entirety of this movie. So to end, basically, like, with an explosion for Flight 180, then ending on, like, another death involving the same number. Like, obviously, I I know a ton of people out there believe in, like, angel numbers and, you know, just numbers in general meaning certain things. But, you know, with 180, definitely not the... Uh, not a good one. Definitely brings some bad omens and uh, led to a lot of death in this movie. Well, it it's one of those things that ultimately it's and we've talked about this earlier. It's it, it makes you think about mortality, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I hope that on the day that I die, I don't want to die in a bed somewhere of cancer. I want to be walking the Las Vegas Strip and I want to be mostly crushed by a fake pack of Marlboro lights that falls off of a billboard. And then I want to have my head squished by a steamroller that has a Coors light can as its drum. That's what I want to do because that's the, that's the life and the, and the death that I've earned. Um, the 180, Yeah. I mean, for me, the, the, the 180 is more about the sign and how the sign goes out mm-hmm. all the way and then comes back. It, it's doing a 180, Right. Yep. Um, and I just love that part. What this movie teaches me, ultimately, is that Allie Lauder is just too hot to kill. She's just too hot. We can't. We got to bring her back. Um, you know, overall, with the, with the whole thing, and I think we've already said it, this is one of those more fun movies that they made it. And I'm pretty sure that the people involved probably had no idea that there would be a follow-up, right? I, I can't imagine that they were thinking, this is going to get a sequel, let alone four sequels. So I think they had a hell of a lot of fun with it. I think they made it as just outrageous and ostentatious as they could. Um, at the same time, leaving the door open because it's Hollywood, so maybe, right? And... I mean, but ultimately, this is one of those things where you think about being a kid and you think about, like, I think about going back to high school and the opportunities for, like, a big school trip. And, like, those opportunities were there even when I went to high school 100 years ago. But, like, my family couldn't afford it. So, like, I hate to say this, but, like, honestly, for me, it was like I had this little bit of a death to the rich kids thing going on. through the whole thing and maybe that's not fair it probably isn't i mean i don't i don't care i don't, I don't live in a world where i worry about things being fair but it's kind of fun to watch the rich and pretty people die mm-hmm. you know and i know there was at least one of the kids in the movie that like had to get his trip funded and it was like well i suppose that happens too you know we we have a we have a world where now everybody has to do everything or the world's not fair and nobody's happy and whatever else but I really think it puts it takes something like death, which is uh, a subject that we all know, we all think about, we don't have a lot of discussions on, and it puts it in the forefront, and it makes you realize that no matter what you do, it's not something that you can escape. It's it's coming for you regardless, and it's metaphoric. I get that, but it's still coming for you. So, what I would hope is that people watch this movie and like take away. Like, I should do more interesting 
things with my life. I should live my life in a way that makes me happy versus, you know, now we live in a world where people think it's awesome to show your muff on the internet and people think it's awesome to pull pranks on people and people think it's awesome to, you know, try to get people to laugh for $20. I mean, metaphorically, this movie is about not wasting your life. That's really what it's, what it's about. Um, and now here we are in 2024 and people are doing things that I think are the biggest waste of their life. Um, so, I mean, and now am I hypocritical? I totally am. I'm podcasting right now. You could say that I'm wasting my life. Um, <laughs> but I would, I would argue that I get to hang out with a friend of mine. I get to talk about a movie that I found interesting. I get to hope that somebody listens to it and finds it interesting. Um, and it's not for a 30-second clip of something, mm-hmm. right? I don't, I don't do anything in my life for a 30-second clip of something. I'm, I'm sure everyone's heard in the background my 3D printers are running right now because <laughs> I'm making things because I want – I know. I, I, one of these days I'll figure out a better time. for. Th- anyway, so it's like just go out in the world and do things that are fun and do things that are interesting and don't waste your life doing things that are stupid. And – with this movie, you've got a bunch of kids that have an opportunity to go to another country, to experience a new culture, to use the language skills that they've theoretically built in their class. I mean, some of them are obviously fucking morons and couldn't speak a word of, of French if they had to. Um, but just to do bigger and greater things. And at the same time, you have to understand that if you look at your watch, the clock is ticking. The the hard part is you never know when it runs out of time. So go out and do whatever you can do that's great because you never know if you're going to get hit by a bus or crushed by a falling neon sign in a small cafe in Paris. Yep, could be could be anywhere. Doesn't necessarily even have to be Paris at that point in time. But yeah, I know I know yeah, what right. you mean. Um, so, so looking ahead, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we are adding on Thursday watch parties as well, which will be starting, uh, this week. Um, so this is kind of going to be like our dedicated night to check out what new offerings are available to us to rent or stream or wherever it may be. Um, and you you know, the microphone cut out. It sounded like you said ream. Did you mean ream or stream stream? Did it cut out? Okay. Oh, it shit. It sounded like it. Shit happens. And I'll, per, perks of doing it live. You know, it's... um. But yeah, so I, I really wanted kind of like a dedicated night for us to uh, really hone in and add in as many new releases as we can. Because yeah. I, I, I don't know about you, but like, obviously, like... I was, I'm on social media probably a lot more than you are, but like one of the very common themes, at least with the horror community, uh, more specifically on like Twitter... Um, is the uh, 365 challenge. Now, this isn't one that I necessarily partake in, but a lot of people try to, you know, average watching one movie a day. Um, but I but I know some people specifically like to seek out new releases. And, like, for me, you know, we're, we're at the early part of the year. We really don't know what quite to expect. I mean, you and I had this conversation on, you know, last week's episode when we kind of like did our roundup of the most recent offerings. Um, and you know, obviously, like, there's some things on a radar and other things that we probably haven't even heard about. Um, so, 
You know, I just, I, I want to get a good idea of seeing, like, are we going to see any trends appearing? Um, we do have, like, a teen slasher uh, that just came out this week, uh, Departing Seniors. That's going to be what we're, we're going to be watching tomorrow uh, for Twisted Thursday. I don't know anything about this movie. I've only seen a poster. I don't know the synopsis. I haven't seen the trailer. I don't know how bloody it is. I don't know if there's going to be nudity. We're going to find out tomorrow. <laughs> um, well, is it departing seniors as in the seniors are leaving the casino or is it departing seniors? I, it's high schoolers. Prom. OK, well, if they're it's, leaving it, prom, there's probably going to be some boobs. If it's the other way around. Eh, yeah. yeah, not so much. Yeah, probably not. We'll and, you know, when it when it comes to like high schoolers, I'm going to air quote this, you know, when it comes to actors, a lot of the times they're like 20 something, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Just well, pass, okay, no. pa yeah. pa passing off as being younger, you know. No, I'm right there with you. I have definitely, I mean, for all the times that you and I've, well, for as long as we've known each other, all the times that we've talked, I am definitely a new horror whore. I, I'm, I mm. will own that all day long. I'm still enjoying this new thing that AMC is doing, the the uh, the screen unseen that they're right. doing. Um, so I just saw lisa frankenstein um my god what a piece of crap that was um and not only was it not a great movie i also think that it probably shouldn't be rated pg-13 and mostly because our main character engages in necrophilia at least twice so for the eight and ten year olds that were running around the theater that i was in and i was one of those times where I was doing my best to not stand up and go, you're not in your living room. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> um, it, it probably not appropriately rated. Um, whether it was good or bad, we can discuss another time, but wow. Like I, it, this one blew me away that the people that were in that movie watching this, I, I, and I, you know what? I, I get it. I'm from a different generation. I have a different set of standards. This was, <laughs> This was one of those moments where I just went, oh, my, oh, my God, civilization's doomed. Um, the same time I through that through that same protocol through AMC, I also saw out of darkness. That was really good. It was really good. Um, at, my wife and I are still talking about it. We're still talking about it and still talking about what it means. And I think that's really what watching new movies will do for us is. As much as I am a new horror whore, um, I love the discussion and the conversation. Um, and it, it's taken me 10 years to bring my wife around, but she's finally here. So she's going to discuss these movies with me, and it's, it's super fun. But I think it'll, it'll give us, you know, as far as the people that listen to us, our Discord, lots of things to talk about. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be super fun. Um, Departing Seniors, I'm glad it's not about a casino, because I would have been really sad. <laughs> um, so... We'll we'll get on that. We'll definitely rock that. Um, I know that we have some other things coming up, um, and my Discord's being weird, and I can't check the schedule for some reason. So would you enlighten me, please? All right. So uh, next week we are talking about Poltergeist. The, oh, the obviously yes. the, ori the original, <laughs> nineteen eighty. Yeah, there's there's no reason to talk about the remake. <laughs> Not at all. I, I it happened, and we want to forget about it. <laughs> Uh, yes, exactly right. So I, I'm I'm happy just 
saying, nope, nope, let's just move on. I want to see, I want to see a maggot-ridden steak crawling across a counter. I want to see a scary tree rubbing against a window, because mm-hmm. that was a thing for me when I grew up. Yep. We'll talk about it, I'm sure. But, oh my god. Just the... Craig T. Nelson just bringing his superb level of obliviousness to the whole thing, but at the same time, his I need to save my family. Mm-hmm. It's it's so it's so pure, but it's also so rooted in for me a guy's horror. I I I can't wait. I can't wait. And it, honestly, it's been ages since I've seen it, so I. I'm excited to see what our Discord friends have to say about it. I I got a couple ideas about what Bob might say, one or two about what Wood might say, and um, <laughs> I don't have any ex- expectations about what Jess and M might say. I, I I I something tells me that M probably hasn't seen it. Um, I don't think so. So I think that'll be a new experience, and I hope she gets scared. Because when I was a kid, that movie—I saw that movie at the drive-in. Yeah, I believe that. I would say Ooh. for 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 a lot of people out there, Poltergeist is probably like gateway horror for people. Oh God, yep, yeah. No, so I'm I'm anxious to see what the what the crowd thinks because I mean, for me, you know, I I like talking about horror, and if I see something new, I share it with you guys. Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of this is. It's about what the crowd thinks, and they bring some interesting things to this, like things that I hadn't, and I've, I've said this before, things that I never thought about because they didn't, for whatever reason, apply to me. Um, and with Bob, Wood, Cass, Jess, M, everybody else, you guys always bring these like great ideas and things that I didn't think about, so please keep doing that because it just, it ultimately expands my horizons and it expands the things that especially when it comes to horror that like I didn't think about that. And then I think about a movie that I'm not watching because it never applied to me. And then I bring a new horror movie into my watch party. And I, that's what I love about it. It's so fun. So OG poltergeist, let's get it on. It's going to be awesome. Yep. OG poltergeist, AKA the reason why I will never have an in-ground swimming pool. Uh, the reason why I have a slight fear of tennis balls. So well, that's understandable. <laughs> uh, so with with that being said, guys, that will do it for us here tonight on Hand of a Scare. Again, join us tomorrow for Twisted Thursday. Check out a new teen slasher in Departing Seniors. And of course, we'll be watching Poltergeist on Tuesday and then talking about that on our next episode. Uh, so in the meantime, hope you guys have a good night. Go uh, check out one of the new genre offerings. As you know, he mentioned, we got Out of Darkness and Lisa Frankenstein both coming out in theaters this week. Um, pretty sure I'm going to go see Out of Darkness between the two. Um, you know, obviously, like, you know, we'd already talked about Lisa Frankenstein and I already kind of had my concerns kind of going in for different reasons. Um, but I, I would be curious to see like how many people are going to be like pairing that with like warm bodies. Cause like that also came out around Valentine's day, if I'm not mistaken, uh, when that hit theaters, however many years ago, but kind of, kind of in, in similar vein in regards to, uh, subject matter, but just kind of a different direction. But once you see it and you're able to digest it, not even close. Okay. <laughs> nope. 
Like I get the I, I get how the poster art might make you think that. Mm-hmm. Nope. No. This is uh Lisa Frankenstein is an adult subject movie that was written by at least six people and then they like glued it all together. Um and then they included masturbation, necrophilia, douching, changing your your lady apparatus because you it's that time of the month murder and then um just really a kind of a psychopathic lust for a gravestone of somebody that you never met i wanted to love it i know that diablo cody can be a little on the insane side which is something i've always kind of appreciated this movie didn't make any fucking sense i if and when you see the introduction of our Frankenstein-esque character, it's introduced 10 seconds after our main character was watching Day of the Dead on TV and they showed you Bub. So it goes out of its way to confuse you as to what you're seeing. And you know what? I I love horror movies. I'll see anything, anytime, anywhere. Do me a favor. Don't confuse the shit out of me on purpose because I don't know if our male protagonist is a zombie or a Frankenstein. I have no idea. And getting to the end, it doesn't clarify it. So it doesn't <laughs> matter. <laughs> All I know is that I saw a lady screw a dead guy. And that was really off-putting. Mm. So there you go. For a PG-13 movie, you mean? Exactly. <laughs> and not just... So basically, okay, okay. Not just once. Yeah. Not just once, either. So Grang's so. basically saying, uh, skip it and uh, just watch Necromantic. You know, you could... You can get well, the real, at least you know, <laughs> the what, you're, at least you know what you're in for there. It's in the fucking title. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm okay with that. If I know what I'm getting into, this one is called Lisa Frankenstein and is is tipped towards being a high schooler, overly romantic. And it's not. Mm-hmm. It's totally not. So it's a new horror movie. Go see it, because if you don't go see it, we don't get new horror movies. But Jesus Christ, be prepared and don't bring your fucking kids. Duly noted. Not that I have any. All right, guys. We will catch you next week. Y'all have a good night.